0: it is never too late and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda. we together Yev- with Jewish History Soundbites and this episode about the Rav Hanazir is dedicated in honor of the Old Torah platform. As the Dafyemi cycle begins, Maseches Nazir this Wednesday, January twenty-fifth, twenty twenty-three. And welcoming everyone to use the All DAF uh, app to for all your Dafyemi needs. Uh, there was the, the launch of All Daf was in January 2020. Not that long ago. Three years ago. It's currently over 65,000 downloads. And it's not all. There's also All Parsha, which was launched in May 2021 and currently over 30,000 downloads. And that's still not all. The launch of All Mishnah in December 2021 and currently over 22,000 downloads. We're talking about a Torah revolution here. Thousands of people from around the across the world access these highly curated platforms to study Dafyaimi, um, to study Chumash, the Parsha, the Parsha Shiurim, including the exclusive content from renowned speakers like Rabbi Yisachar Friend, Rabbi Ephraim Shapiro, Rabbi Yeshua Hartman, and many, many, many more. Rabbi Sharon Friedman from the Mir, I know, is there, and there's others on the old Parsha platform. Many people are being Mavrisedra, some for the first time, as they have easy access to a dashboard to learn and keep track of what they're up to. Thousands of people are finishing Seder Zroyim for the very first time um, with the, using the All Mishnah as their daily platform for a quick learning Seder that many have added to their day. Masechus Erevin and Mishnayas begins this Thursday for those seeking to jump into doing Mishnayas daily, besides for the Daf Yaymi on All Daf. So visit alltorah.org. For download links or a link tree with download links and links to all the social media and WhatsApp statuses on all the related all Daf all Parsha all Mishnah all everything Tiger related and information on their um, on their websites and I will post these links on the in the text of the of the show notes of, of this episode. Um, I have personal have a connection here because I'm a Daf Yomi learner. And I've been following Old Daff's rise over the last couple of years, and it's very, very exciting. I have some Shi'urim that I use on Old Daff. I've been associated with Ripshol Greenwald's year for quite some time. Of course, the legends uh, of, of, of uh, Old daf and of Dafyemi in general, Srili Bornstein. And here in Beit Chemesh we have Eli Stefanski and Ripshol Rosner. Um, Rabbi Dr. Eliezer Brud is always featured on all DAF, so We have a nice Beit Shemesh contingent there. You have Rabbi Sheer many other legendary Magidi Shuram as well. I have a special affinity for Dr. Henry Abramson's history on the DAF. I love his stuff, his knowledge, his delivery. Just the other day was about Chaim Nachman Bialik's poem about the Kishinev Pogrom um, in 1903. Ba'ir HaHaragat. The City of Slaughter, which I discussed in an episode a while ago. Um, then you have Shirley Bornstein's Raid Bites, which very often cover quirky and interesting historical topics. So there's, um, and of course Eliezer Brutt is lots of history too, so there's tons uh, of history there as well, even though it's claiming to only be Dafyemi related. There's lots more too, it's vast, there's something for everyone. And there's, like I said, there's all partial all mishnayos. It simply doesn't end. It's like almost overwhelming. You feel like you got to learn all day just by being on that uh, website. Um, so we're waiting for all all Torah to start an all history segment or an all Hak segment. There's lots of potential here for some more. But now that the Rafiemi is starting Maseches Nazir, so in honor of that, we're going to talk about a very very special historical story about the Rav HaNazir Abdavid David Kain, a very unique individual um, who passed away not long ago. I mean, he passed away in 1972. He um, was in his 80s. He was quite old. Um, but there are people alive who still remember him. So he's someone from basically our time. And and therefore, it's, it's fascinating, the story that in the 20th century, there was a modern-day Nazir, um, and then here we're going to study um, in the Dafya Emi, in that framework of the Maseches Nazir, and it's not so much an abstract concept or theory, it's something real, because the Rav HaNazir existed in our world. I already featured him um, on an earlier episode, quite some time ago, about the circle of Rav Cook. I spoke about Rabbi Yitzhak and Rabbi Chalap, and then I had an episode on Rabbi himself, and I also spoke briefly there about um, Rav David Kaye and the Rav Nazir, So again, we have the opportunity to open up the topic a much more thorough expansion of this very interesting personality. There's quite a vast literature, primarily in Hebrew, on about him, exploring his life, his biography, his accomplishments, his philosophy, his writings. There's books and articles and uh, vast. It's it's there's an enormous amount has been written about him. Um, uh, my modest contribution is that on my Israel tours, I have related to the Nazir, we go to a Tahar Hazesim, a uh, Kvarim history tour, then I go to his cover, him and his family, it's right near Rav Cook and his family. Um, in the Geula tours, we usually pass right by his home in Rehov Amos, in Geula, right off of Malchai Israel. Um, in, in, in the middle of Gula. on so those history walking tours in the Gula neighborhood of Yerushalayim, we usually discuss him as well. It's next door to Rabdavid Saloveitchik, and they had an interesting relationship as well. It's also a great story. So he was a fascinating person. And of course, by the way, before we go on, there's many, many more Israel walking tours and exciting stuff, and you could be in touch with me about that next time you come visit Israel Yehuda at YehudaGabra.com. And now let's get back to the story of the Nazir. He was a fascinating person, an interesting life, his family, the social context in his time period, and also the various different geographical locations that he resided in through his many wanderings throughout his long life, um, really gives a picture of the um, somewhat confusing times of the... Uh, late nineteenth, early twentieth centuries that he was, which were his formative years. But perhaps the most fascinating element of his entire life is the fact that he was a nazir, right? Which is his 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 title until today, the Rav Hanazir or the Nazir. Um, modern day nazir nazirs throughout Jewish history are rather rare and even somewhat controversial, as we see in Chazal itself in the post. Base Hamikdash era, in the post Second Temple era, it's rarer still. It's almost, almost non existent. And in the modern era, um, I don't know, if, maybe there were rare examples. I really don't know of any other ones um, in the modern era, the last several centuries. Um, and here, Rabb David Kaya, the Rabban Nazir, he brings it back, not just Nazirus, which is really three uh, things that a Nazir does, does not drink wine or any grape-related products, no haircuts or shaving, and no Tuma. Oh, he was, obviously, as his name sounds, or David Kayan, he was a Kayan. So anyways, there was no Tuma exposure to dead or cemeteries or any of that, so he wouldn't have been able to come on any of my tours. But uh, the two other ones that he took upon himself um, which was the standard Nazir customs of no wine or grape products and no cutting hair, he added many other ascetic practices in his quest for purity, in his quest for perfection, completion. He lived with this messianic tension and anticipation of the final redemption and in the hope to receive the return of prophecy in the messianic era. One of his great um, goals in life was to bring back prophecy and he added all these other practices, such as his great silences. He never spoke um, outside of, of, uh, of words of Torah or prayer. Um, he didn't speak on Shabbos, on Yontif, on very often on fast days, Monday, Thursday fast days, regular fast days. Um, he did not speak at all from Rish Chedish El till after Yom Kippur for 40 days straight. Um, he had these long, long silences, but he would say very often that you convey, you express much more with silence than with speech. And it's that elusive sound of silence that was, um, you know, popularized during that time as well. Um, he had a philosophy of silence. He believed that listening um, was, the, was the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish philosophy, the way to the, the vehicle to prophecy, to be a listener. Uh, not a speaker, uh, and there's there's an art of listening. There's a wisdom of listening. Um, so that was that was one one element that he had. These great silences, by the way, another uh, Yerushalmi Jew of a slightly later time, but they overlapped. Also, did not do uh, uh, any speech. It had a great silence for forty days. That was Shalom Shvadurah, the Magad of Yerushalayim, who was a great speaker, a charismatic speaker, but for forty days from Rishchayim Shel to Afteim Kippur, he wouldn't speak at all. The Rav Hanazir um, was another practice that he had was that he was a vegan to an extreme, Uh, no no meat at all, but also no fish, and he wouldn't even wear leather. He he wore cloth uh, shoes and he wore strings for a belt. He no no any any use of any animal products whatsoever, fur or anything. he, um, and he, he had a whole explanation of that philosophy as well. Hopefully we'll have time to get that at. Another practice he had was his wanderings in the Judean desert, in the hills surrounding Yerushalayim, waiting for revelation, for, for, um, for prophecy. He wanted to actually attain the level of prophecy, which he felt was a prerequisite for the Messianic era. He had all kinds of mystical Kabbalistic practices and attempts at a fascinating synthesis of, of scientific knowledge, philosophy, together with Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah and 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 the entirety of the Torah, and plenty more. He was a, a absolutely um, mesmerizing figure. The, Though these various elements gradually developed over time, it seems that his Nazarite vow was taken upon his arrival in the Holy Land in 1922. So 1922 is when he moves to Eretz israel um so he is uh, he's born in 1887 so that would make him uh 35 if i'm not mistaken if my math serves me correctly i'm just calculating it now and that's when it's seemingly he becomes a nazir he decides to he makes a conscious decision he's becoming a nazir um with his arrival in in the holy land and it, it, that's what facilitated his acceptance upon himself of of this status um and uh, it was, you know, becoming immer- immersing himself in the in the holy country. So he's going to take upon himself this holy status. And like I said, it had to do with a lot of his um, um, his uh, apocalyptic, almost like his, his 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 anticipation of redemption, his anticipation of the messianic era, and therefore a Nazir uh, status fit right into that, which ele- he felt like would elevate himself and prepare himself more. For that that uh, time period and that redemp that final redemption, well, you know, for Kiddush and and for the four cups of uh, on Pesach, he would drink a special apple cider kind of drink that he did in in, in lieu of wine, which he did not drink. So he he you know he kept it to an extreme. He did not, uh, you know, he never uh, violated any of this. Uh, well, he was always seen with this long hair and long uh, beard. He had a great look to him. What's even more interesting is that he assumed the same procedural nazir vow for his children upon their birth. He had one daughter, Tsifia Goren, Tifia as in Tzipia Legula, anticipating Bigula, so he named his daughter of, uh, you know, it, it, with this anticipation, this messianic tension. She eventually marries Rav Shlomo Goren, the chief rabbi of the IDF and later of the State of Israel, and a uh, controversial figure himself, a great rabbi, a great paisik, and of great controversy as well. So he was the Nazir's son-in-law, married to Tziphia, uh, the Nazir's daughter, and he had a son, Sharyash of Korayin, also an interesting name, named for the son that Hashem uh, told Yishayi Hanavi to give Sharyash of Banecha, to give to, to his son, Yishayi Hanavi's son. So he's named for, he's, he was named that. And, um, and um, he, he, when his children were born, the Nazir assumed that they'd be lifelong Nazirs and lifelong vegans. Um, Reb Sharyash of Kain relates a story that when he was 12 years old, uh, had a bezden assembled in his parents' home for the express purpose of him declaring in front of this bezdin that he had not accepted the Nazir's status as a neder. And in fact, at the age of 16, Rabbi Shariyash of took his first haircut, which was much to his father's disappointment. The Nazir assumed that his son would follow in his path, but Rabbi Shariyash of Kayin did st- still did maintain the other practices of his father, the other ascetic practices of his father, of not drinking wine and only having that apple cider for Kiddush. And of course, as a Kain, anyways, he did not become Tameh. And he also maintained the practice of veganism. He did not eat any meat products or use any meat products like that. Uh, I think he did wear leather, though. It could be that he didn't do it as extreme as his father. I'm not sure what Urb of Kain's exact practices were. Urb of Kain later was the rabbi in Haifa for many, many years, I think about 40 years or so. He passed away not long ago. I remember, uh, I don't know if I ever met him, but I remember I remember when he, seeing in the news when he passed away. Um, this idea of being a vegan um, was expounded by the uh, Nazir in a pamphlet that he wrote to explain. He actually wrote a ton Great, tremendous writer. He loads of notebooks and commentaries and mystical explorations and shiurim and halacha. And remember, he was also a magid shir. He delivered one of the main shiurim in Merkaz for decades. He was a gemara rebbe, he's a litvisha, lamdisha gemara rebbe as well. Besides, for everything else, in um, the the full gamut of the entirety of Torah, he wrote a diary in his youth and his musings about life and his goals. And there's, he published very little because he saw his main goal was to be publishing his teacher, Rav Cook's writings. Rav Cook was his his main rebbe, his teacher. They were they were connected nefesh completely, like a, a, a like a rebbe in the talmud, almost like almost like an, almost like no other. An amazing close connection that the two of them had. Which we'll get to as well, and um, and the Rav Hanazir, together with Ratziahu the Cook, Rav Cook's son, were the main uh, organizers and editors and publishers of Rav Cook's many many writings, and the multi-volume Oyres um, Hakodesh was uh, published by the Rav Hanazir, and he and, and he put an enormous amount of work into editing it and organizing it. So he never really got around to publishing his own stuff. His massive archive is still being researched, is still being organized, and much has been published from it over the last half a century by a team that works on it. And the assumption is that they have, that they've covered maybe about 10% of his vast writings. Much of his archive has not even been examined yet. It's vast. So, like I said, being a vegan was explained um, in a pamphlet that he wrote as, and he wrote that being a vegan is, it, the way he see, sees it in a Jewish mystical sense, is, is an ideal. It's a way to bring the world to its perfection. Um, he said, when the natural disgust and the repugnance, repugnance that one has from consuming human flesh, which everyone has, there's this disgust with it. So the natural extension of that would be to extend it to all living creatures, that there should be this, the human. Being the human spirit should be elevated to such a level that there will be a natural disgust from consuming or benefiting from any living creature, and he said that that would be achieved by having a certain spiritual purity and refinement which would be heralding the messianic era and the full redemption of humanity to its lofty purpose, and therefore we would uh, uh, he would not have uh, you know, not have any, anything to do with consuming animals. And he explained that veganism is this ideal. So it was fascinating. He was, a, you know, a man of a unique mind and ahead of his time to a certain extent as well. In many other ways, it came to women's rights also. He had some interesting ideas. Maybe we'll get to that as well. So although he led a multifaceted life in the context of the Dafyemi embarking on Masechus Nazir, I believe that it's a tribute to the Rav Nazir that he provided a historical reality to this long-forgotten part of the Torah. Um, Rabbi Sharyesh of Kayan describes how unusual it was when he was a young boy walking with his father, the Nazir, in the streets of Yerushalayim, and both of them had this long hair, Children would sometimes point fingers and laugh at them, and he felt very uncomfortable. So it certainly was a very unique sight and certainly a moment in history when Nazir once again became a reality in the Jewish people, and not just an abstract idea or another Masecht and Shas. In that context, there can be no better introduction to the Dafyami Nazir than, uh, than discussing his story. But um, there was much more to his story than just his Nazir status or his... Uh, ascetic practices, like I mentioned until now. And with the remaining minutes of this uh, episode, I'd like to also discuss uh, some other parts of his life and story, uh, his early years, besides for his, uh, his his being a Nazir. So he came from this very rabbinic family for tens of generations, a very prominent Lithuanian, Litvisha rabbinic family. His father was Rabbi Yisif Kain, uh, Rav in, in Lita, his grandfather, also in Ukraine, his grandfather of Mendel Katz was the rabbi of Radin, very close with the The nazir himself was born in 1887 in this small Litvish town near Vilna. He went to Radin to to study in an advanced cheder, and he was and he was lived in in in, in Radin uh, under under the auspices, you know, together with his grandfather, who was the rabbi of the town. The Remendel Katz, like I said, was very close to the Chavetz Chaim. They lived next door to each other, had lots of mutual respect for each other. The Chavetz Chaim would not render any halachic decisions in Raden. He always deferred to the local rabbi. He would say, there's the local rabbi, Remendel Katz, he's very competent, big Talmud Chachim. go speak to him. Um, the legend has it, This is a, I don't know if this is a true story, but it, it is told that every year before Pesach, the Chavetz Chaim's wife would come in with a pot, <coughs> Excuse me, and asked the rabbi what the kashering process was. Allegedly, the rabbi would cleverly respond that the kashering process of this type of pot is described in the Mishneh B'rura in simon uh, whatever. So, so you know, that's the respect that they had for each other, and because the Chavetz Chaim obviously was the author of the Mishneh B'rura. Um, so his grand the Nozri's grandfather passed away suddenly. He continued a bit and Rotten to study. He later moved on to a yeshiva in Kontop, in Ukraine, where his father was living at the time and teaching Torah at the local yeshiva, very far from Lithuania. He was 11 years old at this time. And for the next decade, the Nazir soon moved around the Pale of Settlement, uh, from place to place, yeshiva to yeshiva. He had uncles who were rabbis in towns across the length and breadth of the Pale. So he'd move from place to place, staying by one uncle, staying by another uncle, getting a flavor of each place, and moving on soon to the next one. He was this restless, wandering soul. And soon he wound up in Valojin, the Valazhin Yeshiva. This was following the reopening of Valojin. It had closed in 1892, and now we're talking about six, seven years later. And uh, and it's it had reopened. And he joined it shortly after its reopening. After some time in Valashan, he returns to Raden, and be, where his uncle had now become the rabbi, the son-in-law of his grandfather, um, succeeding his grandfather. And he became a student of the Chavetz Chaim. Um, he, uh, he becomes a, a student of the Musr movement as well. Um, and he became close to the Chavetz Chaim. Um, and Nazir, the Nazir's roommates in in Raden were Absachem Menkin, who was the father of Tzvi Svineria later on the founder of Ne'akiva, the head of the leader of Ne'keva and his other roommate was Rabbi Yosef Shleim Kahanaman, the pun of so ironic all these uh, very very diverse and interesting figures were all roommates in Radin by the Chavitz Chaim. for the next 12 years uh, the Nazir maintained a Musr diary, things he was working on, improving his ethics, his midas, his struggles, his challenges, an entire inner world. And it's a really fascinating read. Very intimate, very personal uh, recording his feelings during these uh, during formats of years. So during his time as a student in Raden, he started uh, delivering classes in local shuls to local neighborhood Balabatan, laymen, something which was not so common at the time. He mentions that one Shavuos, he delivered a three-hour she'er in a local shul, which I think is more of a testament to the quality of his audience uh, than him. Three-hour shir. Uh, Shvuis, you know. Um, the one who succeeded in his grandfather's Rabbi Raden, like I said, was his uncle, Rapsender Kupstein, who was married to his aunt, the daughter of his grandfather, his, his father's sister. But when she died young, his uncle remarried uh, his niece, uh, in other words, young David Kayin's sister, Penina. So his sister became the Rebetzin of Raden, which was an interesting situation. Um, the, the rabbi, this rabbi, Rabbi, rabbi Sender Kupchin, was rabbi of Radin for 40 years, and he was very close with the Chavetz Chaim as well. He later moved to, uh, to Yerushalayim. He and his wife moved to Yerushalayim. The Nazir uh, was told by the Chavetz Chaim that the Mashiach is about to arrive and everyone's going to start having to do observe the laws in the Beis HaMikdash. The Chavetz Chaim would talk about this a lot. And the Chavetz Chaim told the Nazir that that people are going to come to rabbis and ask them questions about Katshim. And especially rabbis who are Kayanim, like you, he says. So you have to be proficient in the laws of Katshim and you have to study it. And the Chavetz Chaim inspired the Nazir to delve into Kedushim, which would be a very favorite favorite uh, study area of study of the Nazir because of the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim also in, inspired him and, and had an impact on him regarding his Messianic tension. Um, the Chavetz Chaim told the Nazir. I used to daven in, in Shemayin Ircha. The, you know, go back to, Hashem should come back to Yerushalayim, that Mashiach should come. And he said, I used to think, yeah, it's a prayer. He says, now, now I feel it's just about to come. It's almost here. And he filled him, filled the Nazar with this messianic tension, this anticipation um, that he later took to an extreme. Um, Later on, when the Nazar was one of the first ones to pray at the Kaisel following the Six-Day War, together with his son-in-law, Rabbi Shleim Agoran, so he felt, the Nazar said, I feel like this is a fulfillment of the Chavetz Chaim's excitement expressed to him many years before. When he was 18 or so, the Nazir's uncle, or Zalman Dolinsky, convinced him to come join him in the Slabotka yeshiva. So he's in radin now. He's in Slabotka, He became a Talmud of Slabotka, He's very close to Rashi of Slabotka, Ramesh Epstein, um, and uh, so he he um, so he he is a product of Lithuania. He learns in Valozhin, in Slabotka, and and in radin So he's all in the mainstream um Litvish Yeshiva's on one hand and he in many ways was always a Litvish Ulamd and gave a very high level shiur at Merkaz HaRav for decades um, And then he also has all these other sides of his personality. He has all these struggles. At this point in his wanderings, he decided that he needed to expand his horizons. First, in Jewish philosophy, he starts studying the Akedas Yitzchak, the Vuchem, the works of Rav Shamshener He wanted more exposure to the wider culture. He teaches himself Russian. He began to extensively read Russian literature he served for a while as a teacher in Kuntup in Ukraine, where his parents had settled at this time, and then later in Shavel in Lithuania. He was now in his 20s. It's like 1907, 1908. He's still single. He's searching for himself, for his identity, for his next move. He moves to St. Petersburg, where he was. there was this in, very interesting uh, institution, uh, Besmedrish Slash, Jewish University, funded by Baron David Ginsburg, who was also somewhat of an intellectual, for young, brilliant um, Jewish scholars, Torah scholars, general Jewish scholars interested in expanding their horizons, both within Jewish scholarship as well as beyond to the sciences, the natural sciences, philosophy, literature, other subjects, and from and it was it was actually here that he. Uh, um, became close friends with Zalman Shazar, who would remain his friend throughout his life, who was living in St. Petersburg at the time and was also affiliated with Baron David Ginsberg's uh, institution, um, which we'll get back to. From there, he cont- the Nazir continues to the University of Freiburg in Germany. And he was there in Germany when World War I broke out in 1914. He was now 27 years old, studying for his doctorate, still single, and now banished from the country as an enemy alien, because he's a Russian um, Russian citizen, not, not citizen in the, in the democratic sense of the word, but Russian uh, Russian citizen as in he wasn't German. And Germany is now at war with the Tsar, uh, so he was banished from the country, and he was arrested and whatever, and he eventually makes it safely to Switzerland, and he continued his, his doctoral studies at the University of Basel in Switzerland. And that brings us to the most important formative event of his life, and that was his meeting Rev Cook. Um, he um, at the beginning of the war, Rev Cook was also stuck in Switzerland. He had been on his way to an Yisrael meeting of all things. Um, and at the time he had been he was serving as the rabbi of Yafo, and he was now in Saint Gallen in Switzerland. Later on in the war he'd be the rabbi of the Mechziki Hadashu in London before returning to um, um, a, the um, British Mandatory Palestine, and becoming the Rabbi of Jerusalem, and then later of the Chief Rabbi of Israel in in um, in after World War One. But now, at this moment, he's in St. Gallen, Switzerland. And Rabbi David Cohen, who who is eventually to be the Rav Hanazir, described this meeting as a turning point in his life. He himself recorded his impressions of the meeting as the main event of his life, a clear before and after kind of feeling. It's quoted in every single article about the Rav HaNazir. But I have to thank the legendary Menachem Butler for pointing me toward a tablet magazine article which describes the meeting in all of its rich detail. So, uh, thank you, and I will now proceed to quote from this article uh, because it describes it very well, his meeting with Rav Cook. So, the Rav HaNazir um, traveled to meet Rav Cook and reached St. Gallen on the eve of Rosh Chodesh El. Cohen describes that fateful morning and the preparations for it in his diaries. After a ritual dip in the Rhine River, as a mikvah of sorts, and armed with the book of Kabbalah in hand, and expectations for a new period in my life to begin, he makes his way to where Rav Cook was staying. He found Rav Cook studying halacha with his son, Rav Yehuda and a rather dis- disappointing discussion of Greek philosophy and literature ensued upon his first meeting. Cohen, again frustrated, decided to stay and recalls a sleepless, restless night where he felt, quote, my entire life hung in the balance of the outcome of this decisive count- encounter, End quote. One can only wonder what, what would have become of Reb David Kayin if not for hearing early the next morning with the breaking dawn, footsteps pacing here and there, the morning blessings, the recital of the Akeda in such a lofty song from the primordial heavens, recalling the love of our ancestors. I listened and I was transformed. I became a new and different person. After these prayers, I hurried to write down that I had found more, more than what I had prayed for. I had found a Rebbe. With a new heart and spirit, the Nazir embarked in the final phase in his life as a student of Rav Kook. It would be another seven years before they would meet again, this time in Jerusalem, where Kohn testified to not leaving his teacher's side for a moment, learning from him day and night. One day he approached his beloved master and asked, Rabbi, there is holiness and spirit here. Is there also a system of your Torah that we might pass on? Rav Kook's affirmative answer led to Rav David Kayan's decision to dedicate much of the rest of his life to clarifying, organizing, and expounding the master's teachings. His description of these fateful encounters later graced the introduction he penned to the first edition of Iris HaKodesh, his monumental four-volume presentation and systemization of rev cook's religious philosophy, which Rav cook blessed as a work that that was as much the Nazir's as his own. So that's a that's the end of the long citation from that Tablet magazine article, and that's the really describes the. Uh, the meeting of Rav Cook in 1922, when the Nazar moves to the land of Israel, that's when he meets him again. Um, there's, like I said, fascinating memories of Zalman Shazar, the third president of the state of Israel, um, shared of him from their time as close friends in St. Petersburg, studying philosophy, Immanuel Kant, and those kind of things, to Germany, Switzerland, they were together in the Yerushalayim. Um, Shazar remembered a comment from the great uh, researcher of Kabbalah, Professor Gershom Sholem. Um, Sholem told Shazar, there were neighbors in Rehavia, Sholem told Shazar, I didn't know that that there were live Mekubalim anymore. I thought I'm just studying the research of, of the study of Kabbalah. But then I met the Nazir and I see that in Yerushalayim today, there's still live in the Kubala. It's a very interesting comment. Shaz- Shazar maintained a close relationship until his friends passing. and he even attended his shiurim in Kabbalah. He wrote extensive biographical articles about him. In the newspapers, upon the Nazir's passing, he delivered public hespedim them about uh, about the Nazir. The, this is the president of the state of Israel. Very interesting. In general, Shazar is quite a unique individual, deserving of his own treatment on uh, Jewish history sound bites. Um, so he um, he uh, he he would um, uh, he would uh, he he also had a close connection the Nazir to members of the underground, even extremist members of the underground, the Brit HaKashmonaim, which eventually his son, the Reb Shariyash of Kayan joined. He gave them Shi'urim. Um, he, he hired private tutors for his children to study general subjects. He encouraged his daughter to, to, to play the violin. He himself played the violin. It was part of his Hoshana Rabbin night ceremony. He would give a, deliver a shir in Zohar, and then he would play the violin. In general, composing and singing and music were a very big component of his mystical life, as they were of his great rebbe, Rav Kook as well. He spoke many languages, Greek, Latin, English, German, French, of course, Russian, Yiddish, and Hebrew as well. Um, and uh, and he was silent in all of them. One of his other practices was... was uh, Staying, standing the entire Yom Kippur, from Kol Nidre through an through the entire night, the entire day, he stood the whole time. He never sat on a cushioned chair, he slept either on the floor or on a hard bed, and he tried to beget, beget prophecy, he tried to attain prophecy. And at the same time, he was the Rebbe in Merkaz Harav for many years, alongside the other staff there, Ravitz um, HaKarielli, Rav Yachamesh Chalap, who Yehudu Kuk, In fact, the Nazir proposed a curriculum for Merkaz Harav that included all kinds of general subjects and all kinds of controversial subjects, studying Jewish Enlightenment stuff from Nachman Krochmal and Moses Mendelssohn and things like that. And Rav Kook rejected his curriculum as a bit too radical. Uh, He didn't accept it. But for the Nazir, what he thought... He believed that all earned internal and external knowledge can be created into one great synthesis and all assisting in Torah study, all assisting in the study of Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism and all assisting to great, get to the great redemption through prophecy. So he had a very, very, very unique and interesting uh, worldview. Um, he had a rela- great relationships with other rabbis of his time. Again, Rav Shariyash of recalled getting tested on his learning, not only by Rav Cook as a child, of course, by his father's rabbi. Rav Cook considered Rav Shariyash of Kain almost like a grandchild because it was his uh, close students' uh, children. Um but also Ravis Zalman Nelsur was very close with uh with the Nazir and, and Rav Sharash of Kain remembered going to visit Ravis Zalman with his father and getting tested on his learning there. He said Ravis Zalman would test him on passages in Evan Ha'azil in his own uh in his own safer. He would give him a, a, a Sefer, and he would say, No, ask questions on it, and he would give him candy for asking good questions. So um that's uh in his later years he was less public. Um and, uh, he was ahead of his time. One of the other things I mentioned about women's rights, women's status in halacha, women's status in Jewish life was a topic which bothered the Nazir from his teen years and throughout his whole life. When he delivered his regular shiurim in his home and other places and shuls, he had women attend those shiurim. His wife would sit by his side. He saw women as equal, equals in Torah life. And, uh, that was just another element of his, uh, of his unique uh, system of thought, of his of his you know like his like I said about his veganism and his synthesis of general knowledge with complete Torah knowledge, all towards prophecy and the ultimate redemption. So that was a modern day Nazir. Um, unique to his time, or David This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at yehuda.yehudageber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform, and I hope you enjoy it.